0: Hello, welcome back to the Passion Project. My name is Alex Adams and today we'll be talking to my Aunt Marie about her passion for learning as she never graduated high school but still (laughs) achieved a PhD in psychotherapy. She's an avid reader and learner and has gone back to school for a writing master's in the UK. Uh, Welcome to the show, how are you? I'm
1: fine, thanks Alex. Thank you for having me
0: yeah no I'm really excited for our little discussion so let's just get into the fact that you never got into uh, or you never graduated high school um, what was your kind of attitude toward uh, school because you clearly did not like it
1: no I sure didn't and I'm not sure it liked me <laughs> um, I was bored uh, and uh, I'm sure my having changed schools when I was very young Um, you know in grade one and two I changed schools from grade one two to grade three I went from United States to Canada and I think I got caught a little behind for instance they were all doing phonics in Canada Mm -hmm. and I had never clue what was going on but even then I was an avid reader Uh, Mm -hmm. and um, I never quite caught up with what I hadn't got in grade one and two in this little town in the United States. I just couldn't seem to catch up. I think that's the simplest way to put it.
0: Do you mean when you, sorry, just to clarify, do you mean when you came back to Canada, you just felt a step behind? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I never caught up Mm -hmm. and um, I'm not sure whose fault that was, or if it was anybody's, but I learned very young that the West best way to kill time in school was to have a book under the desk and be reading that Mm
2: -hmm. while
1: the teacher up at the front was, I don't know, talking geography or math or (laughs) arithmetic. (laughs) So I was quite a well-read little kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, I discovered the library and I discovered Narnia books. Mm -hmm. And I, I, was a a compulsive I'd say a compulsive reader Mm -hmm. and despite my parents putting me in the bedroom and saying you have to do your homework I always had a novel hidden Mm -hmm. in my books and so if anybody came in the room I'd just flip it down Mm -hmm. and I had a flashlight I used under my covers in bed when I had to turn the light off and I'd be reading (laughs) reading books. Was there
0: kind of a moment (laughs) like when you remember like starting to read like was it kind of oh wow I love this or I'm addicted like I mean you might have been really young and not thought about it that way
1: yeah I that's a really good question I think the first book uh, this sounds sort of bizarre the first book I remember absolutely falling in love with was a story of Cinderella oh wow which as a psychotherapist now, I can go, oh boy, you know, there's a story to tell there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my parents also gave me something called the Arbuthnot, um Book of Children's Stories. Mm-hmm. And it was a great big thick book. And it had very few pictures, didn't have any pictures. It had a few sketches in it, but it didn't have any pictures. And it was um, fairy tales from around the world. So there were versions, there was another version of Cinderella, for instance, mm-hmm. and it had little poems and everything, and I was obsessed with this, and I still have a copy mm-hmm. of this book, and um, I, I just could get engaged in the world beyond where I was living, mm-hmm. or the circumstances that I, where I felt a bit isolated.
0: A bit of an... And- a bit of an escape, I guess, somewhat.
1: Yeah, it was a complete escape, I think. Yeah. I didn't like school. Um, I think teachers found me very frustrating. I didn't misbehave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I probably talked in class periodically. But I wasn't a misbehaving kid yeah. in school, other than I didn't pay attention.
0: Attention, Which is uh, misbehaving, but not the same. It's yeah. not kind of causing ruckus or... yeah. 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 I how- do
1: remember in grade 10 when I was 15, um, I had a teacher named Miss Macdonnell, mm-hmm. and why we were doing American history in Canadian high school, I'm not sure, but it was a very big, glossy, pretty book. Anyway, I was reading Cyrano de Bergerac underneath the desk, and she was trying to teach us about Paul Revere and everybody in the Boston Tea Party and so on. and. The end of Sarah de Bergerac is very sad.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and I was crying. <laughs> and Mac Dunnell looked over at me and she went, Adams. <laughs> she said, It's just not that sad. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always loved her for that because she clearly knew what I was doing. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Was, was there any? Was there any aspect of school that you did like, I guess, maybe English?
1: Yeah. And uh, there was a period where, again, grade 10, we were reading Wuthering Heights. And for some bizarre reason, the teacher said we were only supposed to read a chapter up to where she wanted us to read, and then wait, and then read Mm -hmm. the next, read the next chapter. Well, that wasn't going to suit me (laughs) at all. (laughs) So I just zipped through the whole book so i i liked uh english providing i didn't have to do grammar and all that stuff that all seemed a little too akin to math and everything Mm -hmm. else which now um i have sometimes regretted because i sometimes don't have the language of grammar Mm -hmm. um but uh i and i really liked writing uh essays or short stories Mm -hmm. and I think it came as a real kind of disappointment to a teacher when it when I was 15 I won a short story I came in um, I won a Canada Permanent Trust short story contest Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: I certainly wasn't the student this particular teacher wanted to win Mm -hmm. Um, it it kind of went in the face of everything (laughs) she believed in about (laughs) the kind of student who should win a mm-hmm. short story contest but anyway i did win it and mm-hmm. that was a huge boost mm-hmm. to my confidence
0: so when was that kind of like were you when did you kind of feel like you started writing was that the kind of pre-teen teen phase or was it younger
1: no, no i think i always wanted to write i think because these books were so magical and also as you well know um I come from a family where people write mm-hmm. and you might not even know that your great-grandfather
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, your great-great-grandfather was a correspondent for Figaro the French-Canadian community oh, really? he was the the correspondent for Figaro which was mm-hmm. the newspaper in Paris oh wow and um, so he reported on Manitoba French events <laughs> you know <laughs> and my aunt your great aunt Madeline Mm -hmm. uh, was a journalist Mm
2: -hmm. in those
1: days of course women journalists for the most part not everywhere but they had to focus she was a music critic she was the religion correspondent Um, Mm -hmm. hard news wasn't something that most women um, Mm -hmm. were allowed to be I mean there were people who who broke that
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, invention shall we say in the 50s but not many they tended to work on the woman's page as it was called then and uh but there was writing in the family Mm -hmm. so in my great in your great-grandfather he wrote during the depression when he was really he was a lawyer and he was um found himself at loose ends at, at times and also of course he was worried about how he would keep his family in food Mm -hmm. because nobody could afford to pay a a a lawyer. Mm
2: -hmm. He wrote
1: apparently quite a melodramatic book about a opera singer. (laughs) So that's how he kept himself in good spirits. So yeah, Yeah. I I knew pretty young. And then I won this short story contest. And um that kind of so kind of confirmed that I could do something.
0: What when you you know, like you said you were 15 when you won that short story and then shortly after you dropped out of school was that kind of the path that you saw as just a writer afterwards
1: well I was actually 16 when I won it I'd flunked grade 10 and I had to do it over again Mm -hmm. so I was a year behind (laughs) but I then left school shortly after that and I worked in bookstores I worked in Eaton's as it was then I worked in the book department Mm -hmm. for a long time I worked there part time. Mm-hmm. And then worked there full time. And um yeah, I was just always kind of mired in a world of books.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the book books can open the world mm-hmm. for you. They mm-hmm. can, in, in my view, anyway, uh, and biographies and
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I was kind of immersed in in that. And then I started writing little articles for the Winnipeg Tribune and Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Winnipeg Free Press.
0: What kind of article? Uh,
1: well, n- there was a uh, there was my parents were involved in an organization, for instance, and um, uh, a someone named Jean Vanier who was a man who'd, um, he's been a bit um, uh, pilloried a little more recently, but he started an organization for, he started a town where um, people, disadvantaged people could come and live Mm -hmm. with learning difficulties and psychological difficulties. And he came and gave a retreat. So I did a kind of profile Mm -hmm. about that.
0: Was that that kind of very invigorating for you just to kind of.
1: Yeah. And it was published, you know, uh and um and then i when i moved to england i wrote well uh yeah when i moved to england i wrote an article for instance about a little group of poets called the barrow poets who used to write some quite funny Mm -hmm. poems and they put them to music and uh they were very popular in the early 70s and i uh, sent articles back to uh I I can't even remember whether it was the free press or the tribune, anyway, they published them. (laughs) So those little things kind of gave me a boost. Mm -hmm. And um, so I thought maybe I could do something.
0: Mm -hmm. And Um, then, and then you started to work at the BBC. How did you kind of, uh, or how did you feel that you managed a successful career at the BBC well, with journalist? With, with, a lot uh, of it
1: was bluff and blunder. But yeah. before yeah. then, I, I lived in England for a couple of years, and then I moved back to Canada. Mm-hmm. And I was very lucky to meet somebody named Roger Newman, who ran a little freelance agency. Mm-hmm. And he left school young, and he'd started off as a journalist mm-hmm. by being a copy boy, I think at the Toronto Globe and Mail. Mm -hmm. and um his uh brother became very well known in the cbc roger um and uh and roger hired me to write for this little agency he had and so i was writing articles for engineering weekly magazines like that and uh i wrote for the farmers weekly my god i didn't have a clue what i was writing about but anyway i kind of you know yeah. I kind of yeah I, I I did it, and um some of the trade magazines you know in the uh rag trade and stuff like that, so when I went to England, I had this behind um when i and then i there was um I got a job, terrible job, working for the Manitoba government
0: mm-hmm. as
1: a um speechwriter for the minister of industry and commerce, a mm-hmm. job for which I was completely and totally ill-suited. <laughs> and when I finally mm-hmm. quit that, somebody rang me and asked me to do an interview uh, for the radio station at the University of Manitoba, which was a voluntary mm-hmm. um, community access. mm mm-hmm. Um, radio station. And so I started getting radio experience there. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was really scared. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
1: thought, but if I don't agree to do this, I'm never going to get this opportunity again. So there was something about taking the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So having moved back to Britain, uh, I, first of all, worked for a radio station called LBC, which still goes on which is still here to this day called london broadcasting and when i walked into this radio station terrified to see if there was any freelance work anywhere Mm -hmm. he said have you ever been in a studio and i thought well i hosted some shows so i've been in a studio i said yes and he said have you ever worked at a commercial radio station because of course the in Britain, the BBC had never had any commercial radio stations until a few years before, yeah. and so I thought, well, you know this little radio station had advertisements. so I said yes." and he said, "Okay, here's some shifts." And so I had a I was given shifts as a producer, and I would say things like, "Oh, we do things a little differently in Canada. Can you show me how you you do this?" Yeah, did <laughs> and I, did. Yeah. And I just kept going i guess and Mm -hmm. then eventually somebody i'd worked there said why don't you come over to the bbc Mm -hmm. and uh, so i was very lucky i didn't have to go through some of the hoops that some people do to work on the bbc and particularly on the morning programs and i i went over to the bbc and i you know so i was very i was very lucky i was Mm -hmm. probably a bit bullshit or a bit i mean if i look back i'm not sure i'd have the courage to do those things now Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. um, I learned on the job I think it's fair to say the other thing that I think is important is that I think we can succeed sometimes where we're not so afraid of failing Mm -hmm. and I think there was something about my having left school young that there was a perception that I would never get anywhere or do anything Mm -hmm. if I stayed uh, in Winnipeg Mm -hmm. the expectation would have been that I'd be I'd go to university and I'd get a degree and if I didn't do that I was going to end up a drunk
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, or I was going to end up in some horrible life situation
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and um, but I'd go nowhere
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and I think by going you know kind of leapfrogging I didn't have the courage to go to Toronto or Vancouver Uh, I think I was still too afraid but coming to England nobody knew me Mm -hmm. at all yeah and I could wing it
0: and also I feel like a little bit you're playing with house money you know like you again nobody knows you but if every time you get a job you know you can kind of rub it in right um (laughs) uh how was working at the BBC
1: it's very hard work Mm-hmm. It was very hard work. and I worked in in news. and um, anyone who works in a morning show will tell you CBC, ABC, anywhere you work, you work night shifts, you work um, you work in teams, um, uh, you go without sleep. Uh, it's very exciting, having said mm-hmm. that. And it's a a privilege but it's it can be exhausting
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um yeah it's but I, I i feel very fortunate to have work there i think i was in a very privileged
2: mm-hmm.
1: position mm-hmm. and i was always aware of that mm-hmm. that i was in a privileged position even though i was exhausted a lot of the time mm-hmm. i think i did night shifts for 17 years oh my which you know for somebody who you know doctors and nurses and particularly in times of COVID, you know, they work night shifts too. Uh, And um, it's always a little bit harder to negotiate life and relationships Mm -hmm. when you're working night shifts. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, you have days off when other people don't have days off. Mm -hmm. And um, nine to five can sometimes feel a bit...
0: uh, Laborious. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: there's traffic <laughs> there's no traffic I can tell you at 3 30 in the morning
0: <laughs> one would hope um yeah so just to kind of move on a little bit you know you were working at the BBC into your 40s and then and kind of you you decided to to go back to school and, and become a psychotherapist what kind of drew you to that
1: well because I worked on a morning show and it was a news morning show, I should say. It wasn't a uh, a chat show. Uh, you know, a lot of reporters were in war zones, and um, I remember a, one very well-known reporter said to me that people of my generation didn't think we'd be they'd be war correspondents. They thought they'd be great political correspondents. They didn't think they'd be going to war zones, and um,
0: is that Falklands? Is that...
1: Well, there was the Falklands uh, to begin with, but then there was the wall that came down mm-hmm. and there was a lot of violence in Romania, for instance. Mm. Um, there were two Yugoslavia. Gulf Wars. Gulf Wars and there was uh, Yugoslavia.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And Yugoslavia was incredibly brutal. Um, But when I was 40, it was after the wall came down and uh, there was a reporter who was in an area of conflict and they had dropped his story, even though he'd gone out in the square and I could hear the bullets in the background. I could hear them shooting in the background when he phoned in and they decided to drop a story and he did not know why he was there. And talking to him in the middle of the night um trying to kind of calm him i suppose i remember i talked to him for about an hour and the rest of the desk they left me alone they must have realized that something was going on because they didn't kind of um say you know why aren't you doing this or do that um and when i hung up i remember thinking that was really serious i should know what i'm doing so i decided to take a course in counseling but i Not surprisingly, I was a little afraid of academia (laughs) considering my previous history. So I took what they called an experiential course. And um, what I discovered, of course, was that I really loved the theory. And I really liked writing the essays. (laughs) Who would have thought? (laughs) So I kept working at the BBC and... I even took a posting to Washington in the middle of it, but I um, I got an undergraduate degree, and then I did I thought, well, I want to go further. So mm-hmm. I did a master's degree, uh, which was a lot more, many more essays <laughs> And it was part-time, and it, uh, But what I discovered again, I really loved writing the case studies, and mm-hmm. I really loved writing the essays. Uh, and, and then I, I thought, okay, well, I took some further training in trauma. And then I thought, and by this time, by the end of my master's, I'd left the BBC and I had a small practice. Practice, yeah. Yeah. As a therapist. And, um, but I also started writing fiction and I thought, okay. And, um, and then, and then I thought you know, I'd really like to know about the personal lives of therapists and things. (laughs) Um, Because I'd had to deal with working as a therapist while my husband had been ill. And then there was Mm -hmm. a another difficulty that I'd faced, which I've written about very clearly Mm -hmm. in um, one of my books. And um, I I, I thought, well, how do other therapists cope with personal difficulties? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, I'll write a book about that. I'll do some research and I'll write a book about that and then I thought well if I'm going to write a book I might as well get a PhD (laughs) (laughs) Um, in fact what I have is what's called a doctorate in psychotherapy Mm -hmm. and um, so that's what I did I applied and I researched therapists in their personal lives Mm -hmm. and um, you know me having been a journalist I was really good at research.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
1: um, so I, I wrote that book and then I wrote a novel based on the life of a pretty uh, mixed up therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I, you know, what I really realized and it's probably been a theme that's run through my whole life is that I have always loved learning.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I've not enjoyed being bored or bad teaching. Yeah, but I've always loved learning. I just haven't enjoyed learning what somebody thinks I ought to learn all the time. Yeah. I think I'm better at that as I've grown older. You know,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. I've matured a little. Let's hope. <laughs> and I've never been—I've never enjoyed being forced into it. Yeah, I think there is something and about choosing. Yeah, but what I have learned, and I suppose that's why, even before lockdown, I decided. Many years ago, when I worked at LBC, Mm -hmm. um, my first radio station in this country, I um, had became arts editor. And um, I interviewed um, Kazuo Ishiguro, uh, who wrote, um, well, Artists of the Floating World, and um, Mm -hmm. won the Nobel Prize two years ago. And um, Anyway, he was a young man then. And he uh, had taken this course at University of East Anglia. And I remember thinking, oh, I'd love to do that. And uh, I had, no, I certainly wouldn't have had courage to apply
2: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. at that point at all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so in the back of my head, I've always had this course about, you know, at, University of East Anglia, University of East Anglia. And then two years ago, I thought, you know what? I've got a doctorate. I can do academic work. I've never done this course. I've always wanted to. Do I really want to go into my ripe old age thinking I wish I had done? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I applied. And they only take 40 people a year. So, uh, and they take them from all over the world. So, you know, and I... I'm not going to disclose my age, but let's say I'm not, let's say, you know, I've got white hair.
0: <laughs> a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little. Okay.
1: So I so I applied. Um, in the interview, the guy even said, uh, he said, have you applied anywhere else? <laughs> like, um, you know, like uh like he actually wanted me on the course and i thought holy moly okay so anyway for the past 2 years i've been completing <laughs> a, a masters in creative writing and um i will shortly there's no reason to suppose i won't mm-hmm. have a a masters in in creative writing and i suppose what that kind of brings it all round to is that I do believe that anybody at any age can actually learn Mm -hmm. and it's not too late. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And um, I certainly learned that by beginning a kind of academic Mm -hmm. pursuit at the age of 40, a a kind of formal
2: pursuit.
1: I am, and I now work with um, in my therapeutic life, my, you know, I'm also an academic now. Mm -hmm. Um, I may be a student still, but I'm also an academic and I teach and I work with therapists doing doctorates Mm -hmm. anywhere between the ages of sort of 28 and 60. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it is about curiosity, and it is about learning. I should also say I had really good examples. You know, my father was I was 12. My father was 45. When he finally qualified as an obstetrician. Mm -hmm. So I watched him study in Mm his 40s. um, And in his 30s. And, um, and then my mother, I've never quite figured out because I'd already left home by the time she did it. But she had had to because it was the depression. She'd had to leave high school after grade eleven, mm-hmm. and had never gone to university. And she'd had to leave at grade eleven because her sister was deemed to be the one who was academic,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so she could go to she could go to high school, finish high school. Yeah. Um, and she went. My mother went to university in her late forties, early fifties. Mm-hmm. And then worked as a teacher and wrote um, wrote a textbook on the conjunctive in French, <laughs> which is no place I'm ever going to go. But, <laughs> you know, there were examples that I had of people who had pursued education, perhaps in a, um, mm-hmm. in a way they hadn't been allowed to do when they had been younger. Mm-hmm. So... I did believe I think that I could I could do something. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I work with clients and patients, often, you know it's about regret and what could they they may wish they'd done it earlier, but what can they do now?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's pretty valuable. And yeah. learning, you know, if we don't learn, we kind of wither up. Yeah. Um, and um, I still read as much as I can. I still love to, you know, i you know, there's the ding dong. I mean, the ding dong of the Amazon delivery uh, was a source of enormous, you know, it was a big event every day during lockdown. So um, I do, um, I do have a stack of unread books, but I also have an enormous number that I've read. <laughs> so yeah I I do believe that anybody can learn
0: mm -hmm. and and just to kind of finish off you know what's the you know what what going forward do you really want to learn or is there something kind of that you're looking forward to I mean other than I know you'll read 150 more books by the end of the year (laughs) but uh yeah
1: I think um I would like to be the best writer I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to be published every time. Yeah. I mean, I, I do publish a lot academically. You, you um, mean
0: academic or, or novel? No,
1: I think um, even if it's something. Uh, no, I think it's kind of giving into the creative urge. Mm-hmm. Um feeling like I can create something or I can use my imagination Mm -hmm. around something. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, you know, if I lose my faculties, that's one thing, but it is uh, something to kind of keep, keep going. Yeah. Uh, I think we, we all need something that gives our lives meaning Mm -hmm. and uh, writing for me, uh, And at the moment I'm writing stories about a small town Mm -hmm. and the people in it in the 1950s. And this is born partly out of um, memory. And it's, um, and I was very young in the fifties, you know, I'm not that old. I was very young in the fifties, but there are elements that I remember. And my father wrote what is actually quite a dry (laughs) account. of life, Mm -hmm. But there are some wonderful stories that can be pulled out of that and made into a kind of, Mm-hmm. Um, fictionalized um, yeah. retelling of these stories and even if it's just for the family that's okay
2: yeah.
1: um, just something um, about giving life meaning for some people that's gardening particularly in this country for some people it's throwing pots mm-hmm. for some people it's working in the food bank um, mm-hmm. or um, just keeping going it's you know uh, but for me it's it's uh, and has been a source of enormous joy just to write whatever it is It it, it is to write to keep my fingers going and to um, be exercising my imagination I go a little squirrely if I don't you know I'm bad tempered I know you've never seen me bad tempered but you know
0: it, it happens all the time just for the writing. <laughs> Uh, Well, I think that was a great way to end off. Thank you very much. I had a lot of fun recapping your life of, you know, failing through school and then somehow succeeding. Right. So, um, yeah. Well, I
1: know my having left school and getting such terrible marks in math and chemistry has been a source of enormous amusement to you over the years.
0: (laughs) You set a high bar. So. And,
1: you know, I am married to a professor of education, which is probably part of the humor.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 partially. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And um, stay tuned. We have a new uh, exciting guest coming on uh, later next week. So uh, stay tuned to the Passion Project and talk to you guys soon. Take care. Bye.